listening to the Agent Survival Guide podcast. A podcast for today's insurance agents. Informing. Educating. Empowering. Improving the way you do business in an industry that's anything but static. In today's episode, what exactly is imposter syndrome? We take a close look at what it is, what it's not, and strategies that can help to overcome the feelings of self-doubt and fraud that come along with it. What I've learned about imposter syndrome so far, written by me, Sarah Rupel. During the pandemic, a game called Among Us rose to popularity. In this multiplayer game, there is an imposter whose sole mission is to take down the group from the inside. When I think about imposter syndrome, I can't help but compare the two because the effects of imposter syndrome act similarly, taking down aspects of our confidence from the inside. And it's a little more nuanced than feeling like a fake or having thoughts that you're not good enough. Because I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we could all admit to those feelings at some point in our lives. That probably comes from living in a society where the ethos is sometimes to fake it until we make it. Imposter syndrome goes a little bit deeper, though. Believing that you're not as smart as everyone thinks you are. Thoughts of only getting where you are because of chance. And then the anxiety that sooner or later someone is going to figure out that you don't have it all together. The denial of praise isn't being humble. Those who suffer from imposter syndrome don't see themselves as being smart enough or having the skills to deserve that praise. Their success happened because of a myriad of things, other factors, certainly not just them. They tend to be overachievers, not because they want to be extra, but because they're scared that they'll be found out. Those with imposter syndrome also tend to set extremely challenging goals, only to beat themselves up when they don't meet them. They'll doubt their abilities, even sabotaging their own success. And even though plenty of people with imposter syndrome find success in their efforts, successes do not minimize the fraudulent feelings. They're only exacerbated, causing the cycle to continue. According to a 2011 paper on the subject published in the International Journal of Behavioral Science, 70% of us will experience at least one episode of this phenomenon in our lives. And when you really dig into these studies, you'll see older reports suggesting that those who suffer from imposter syndrome were mainly professional women. Over time, though, Studies have come to show that this is not just a female syndrome. It's a people syndrome. And one of the things I found most fascinating is how many different ways imposter syndrome can present itself. These categories have existed since Susanna Imes and Pauline Rose Clance researched the topic and coined the term imposter syndrome. The first of which is the way imposters tend to think about tasks and how they perceive themselves 
in relation to those tasks. It's the imposter cycle. I find it fascinating, and it's not always included in every article or explainer on the subject. This is how that cycle works. A task is assigned, and anxiety ensues. An imposter either over-prepares or procrastinates the task. When they over-prepare and find success, well, that success is attributed to hard work, not their natural abilities. When they procrastinate and later scramble to complete the task and find success, that success is the result of luck or good fortune. Now, let's move on to the characteristics. First, we've got the superhero. This kind of imposter overworks themselves to make up for how inadequate they feel. They will take on so much until they absolutely break because they're so afraid of being found out as a phony. Then there's the natural genius. I mentioned this one earlier. The person who sets extremely high and unrealistic goals and then is crushed when they do not reach them. How about the expert? This imposter constantly wants to know and learn more. They're not satisfied with their level of understanding. A soloist can also be an imposter. They like to work by themselves. They don't need help. They won't ask for it because that means admitting that they don't know what they're doing or seeming weak. And what about the perfectionist? They're only happy with their work when it's perfect, but often they are so fixated on the flaws of their work, they don't see the strengths. Now, on their own, a lot of these circumstances present themselves at some point in our lives. But it's when we've got two or more going on at the same time that we too are suffering from imposter syndrome. And I will be the first to admit I have suffered from every one of these characteristics, so I am right here, both hands raised, standing up. So what do we do? Well, before we get to that, I feel like I need to address the fact that there are a lot of articles and videos going around that simply list off the traits of these syndromes or disorders like ADHD and generalize them to a point that it seems like anyone could have it. And I should also point out that while ADHD is a diagnosis found in the DSM-5, the most current edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, imposter syndrome is not, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, nor does it mean that there aren't ways to think around it. And as someone who has battled anxiety, I can confirm that the thinking process in all of this is a huge factor. A good place to start out is by taking time to reflect, practice self-awareness, and journaling. That can help you identify if you're feeling some of the same feelings I mentioned. It gives you the time and space to reflect on why you're feeling that way. After all, you can't work on something if you're not sure what's going on and why. Be aware of the imposter cycle. Learn the different ways that the characterizations of an imposter present themselves during that cycle. 
How does that match up with when you experience anxiety, stress, and feelings of not being good enough? First things first, keep a positive mindset. Imposter syndrome has a lot to do with how we think about ourselves, and sometimes we are our own worst critics. There can be a lot of negative thinking going on in our heads, sometimes in ways that we don't really realize how it affects us until we reflect and think through it a little deeper. So that positive mindset is important. And when you combine that positive mindset with reflection and grounding thoughts, thoughts that are rooted in reality, You can use something called cognitive reframing to shift your perception of the situation. Let's use the perfectionist as an example. When they look at a project that they deem isn't perfect, they see that as a failure. Cognitive reframing challenges that idea of perfection. What is perfect, really? How would I define that? Wouldn't that look different depending on who's assessing the situation? So maybe perfect is unrealistic. What really matters here is that I tried my best. That's an example of shifting that all-or-nothing thinking of the perfectionist and using cognitive reframing, bringing it back to reality. Here's another one that I love. Make a list of your evidence for thinking a certain way. Much of what makes imposter syndrome, as I mentioned, happens inside your head. Imposters can have a full-on conversation with someone inside their own head, complete with responses and outcomes that literally do not exist. It's that anxiety trying to map out all the possible outcomes of a situation. But... If we have to make a list with evidence and not just reasons that all start out, I think, it grounds those irrational thoughts in reality, puts them on paper as thoughts or reasons, not clear evidence. A bit of another side to that cognitive reframing coin. Another great way for an imposter to get out of their head, sharing their feelings, Talk to other people about how you feel. It's easy for an imposter to start believing their own made-up truths, even when they're not true. But talking with others and having our thoughts and ideas questioned can bring us back to a more grounded reality. And let's flip that coin over for a minute. Ask for help when you need it. For the longest time, I thought that asking for help meant admitting out loud that I wasn't capable enough to handle every task that I was being given. And to be very honest, I still struggle with that idea. But if the goal is getting X, Y, and Z done, and I've only got the bandwidth for X and Y, someone has got to help with Z. That's a bit of a combination of asking for help, getting out of that soloist silo, and using cognitive reframing to focus on the goal rather than how we get there. Next up, and I've probably mentioned this before many times here on the podcast, be mindful of how you consume social media. Don't let it consume you. 
There is a very real aesthetic of perfection online, and it's not always easy to visualize what's going on outside of the frame. Are we thinking about the lighting behind the camera that makes that shot look so great? What does the rest of the room look like other than what we're focused on? If we pulled back, would we see a mug that doesn't match the carpet? Maybe a couple of toys out of place or perhaps dishes in the sink? And then there's just negativity and content that doesn't add to your life. It has no real benefit. It doesn't feed you. That was Facebook for me, unfortunately. There was a lot of negativity on my Facebook feed when I banished it to the app library, but it needed to be done. And while I do love Instagram, I also know and understand what goes into making those images look so perfect and enticing. I prefer to treat it as a collective muse of sorts, so inspo, if you will. And then the last thing on the list that I will mention here, a lot of working through imposter syndrome is working through it. Practicing different methods to overcome how it makes you feel, because what works for me might not work for you and vice versa. That's where journaling, prayer, meditation, they kind of help you circle back to that first bit of advice. Take the time to reflect. Practice self-awareness. Check in with yourself and then continually check in again. And finally, allow yourself a bit of grace. Allow a bit for others as well while you're at it because we all need it. Nothing that is worth doing will happen overnight. It's going to take some time to learn how to put these methods into practice and move forward. So baby steps, just keep moving forward. And that is all we have for you today. If you like what we talked about in this episode, you'll want to follow along for our upcoming episode on toxic positivity and other podcast exclusives that are near and dear to our hearts. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next episode.